I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Ada Calhoun, New York Times bestselling author. Her new book is Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis. Turns out Generation X women are miserable and can't sleep. Squeezed between the boomers and the millennials, Gen X women face new challenges as they enter middle age, unique problems that are being dismissed, minimized, or overlooked, and therefore unaddressed by the culture at large. Ada Calhoun sheds light on the distinct cultural and political challenges facing Gen X women and offers solutions for how to reemerge from the abyss. She surmises that Gen X women should reframe the story of their lives and mistakes and learn to see themselves as heroines worth rooting for. She's had and has collaborated on several New York Times bestsellers and written for the New York Times, the Oprah Magazine, New York, and the New Republic. Welcome to the show, Ada. Thanks for having me on, Catherine. Well, your groundbreaking research, and it, to me it's certainly groundbreaking because you say that Gen X women are miserable and can't sleep. And as a baby boomer, I thought that we were the ones who couldn't sleep. The baby boomers, <laughs> <laughs> not the Gen X well, women. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, we have a lot in common, right? I think that women in middle age often have a lot of responsibility, maybe most of it unseen, um, because it involves a lot of caregiving. Uh, and I'm not arguing it's harder for Gen X women, just that it's a little bit different. So a lot of our mothers and grandmothers... If they worked, it was 9 to 5, and if they had kids, often they had them in their early 20s. Um, and so by the time they were in their 40s and 50s, they typically were empty nesters, whereas Gen X women are usually working really stressful, long hours while taking care of small children and aging parents and going through perimenopause all at once. And it's just a little bit different. That does make it different. And I think one of the things you said, which really stands out with me, is women in their, we had, I didn't, we had, I think even some of the baby boomers, let's say, had children in their early 30s, 20s, late 20s, Mm -hmm. early 30s. But now I see and I go and I have three little grandchildren. I go with my daughter-in-law and I go to these activities with these kids. And it's exactly what you say. You see these mothers, they're in their 30s. And 40s, they're, they're, yeah. And so I think that's a big reason for why many of you of your generation are having problems. But you really break it down into different areas. So maybe that's what we should talk Mm -hmm. about. You know, what are, yeah. Because you don't get much, you don't get much empathy. That's the last thing I'm going to say. And I think you write (laughs) about that. We say, well, you know, you have everything. You you could, you know, you have it all. So why are you complaining? It's your fault, right? Exactly. Blame the victim. I mean, that's something I've been hearing. I heard a lot, not only from other people, but also from the women themselves, where they would say, and I talked to um, a couple hundred women for the book, and a lot of them would begin our conversations by saying, listen, I have no right to complain. I'm extremely lucky. You know, my husband's so great. Uh, I have a roof over my head. I'm healthy. Like, I, I just, I, I shouldn't even be talking to you. Um, and, but, you know, as they would talk and they would go on, you'd find that they, their lives were extremely difficult and extremely, you know, long, hard hours, um, so much responsibility, so much pressure, not only to make money um, and care for, for a lot of different people, but also to feel grateful for it. And, and what I'm trying to do with the book is just remove some of that shame for not feeling uh, appreciative enough for all the opportunities we have. All right, so the opportunities are out there, but how you accomplish them has changed, and it's very different. And I think, you know, that, that saying is, which keeps coming up. Well, you know, we told you, baby boomers told our, my kids say millennials, you know, you could have it all. 
Well, you can't yeah. have it all, number one, and that's what you're finding out. <laughs> Nobody can, well, not right? without losing something, right? I mean, yeah. you can do all, you can have a family while you're working, but it's, it's very rare that a woman has enough support to do it and also, say, sleep or <laughs> ever have a moment to herself. All right, let's start out with some of the specifics that you have in the book. Okay, most you, you say that most or many American Gen X women were raised as latchkey kids by absent mm-hmm. working parents, and obviously mm-hmm. that has an impact on on them. Um, so what kind of an impact does it have, or has it had? Yeah, so, so one woman after another that I interviewed would tell me that she felt like since she was very young, she had to parent herself, that she felt like she was left, um, left alone, a lot, and that was a very common in that generation. So 40% of us were children of divorce. That was the peak of the, of the divorce boom was when we were young. And, um, and that, for many of these women have carried over into this sense, like, no one's, no one's going to help you. Um, you're on your own. Is that true? No one's going to help you. You're on your own? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of women felt like it was. And even if, even if they did have some support, it was hard to... Um, it was hard to feel it, but a lot of women told me that they just felt like uh, they had to keep all the balls in the air, that, that there was just this kind of constant need for them to work harder and do more in order to keep their kids safe, to keep uh, the roof over their head, um, to keep everything moving the way they wanted it to keep moving. So a work, because I think that is critical, like going to work and trying to balance everything. And as you say, um, women even when they work full-time, they're the ones who are primarily responsible for the kids when they yeah. come home from work. So they've got two jobs. And then as you, and kind of tying it in with your uh, research that women have kids in their 30s and even 40s, so they're taking care mm-hmm. of their kids and their aging parents. That's a yeah. lot more, yeah. Well, and boomers are, you know, living longer than ever before and often with chronic conditions that can be very complicated to manage. And that caregiving still primarily falls to middle-aged women. And as far as the age of first child, yeah, in the 70s, it was um, early 20s, like 21, I think, in 1970. And now that's moved up to something like, you know, 27 or 26, somewhere in there. Um, that makes a big difference. Yeah, it- there's actually a law in the Netherlands, and maybe you've heard of it, that when people reach the age of 75, if they want uh-huh. to end their life, they can. If they feel they've been around too long and they're too much of a burden, they don't have to have a... <laughs> and I'm serious about this. So it kind of fits in with your thing. Hey, we can't take care of you anymore. But anyway, I don't know if that's funny or not, but it's, well, it's true. I mean, definitely, it's wonderful. And I think that, you know, it's so great. Like, my son not only had um, three grandparents, until very recently, but he also had a great grandmother who was 102 um, when she passed away a couple weeks ago. Like he had a really good relationship with her, and I think so. That's that is a wonderful, positive thing. And I think the the only downside to it is that a lot of women feel just stretched very thin trying to care for so many people all at once. What about the financial? Let's talk about that. Like the financial burden, is it worse for the Gen X women and/or families than the baby boomers? Yeah, so that is that is really major, and that was something I heard again and again from women I interviewed, that they just felt like they never felt like they had financial security. And if you look at the trends of downward mobility for this generation, you see that it's, it's not just one or two people. This is a whole generation that is really suffering from very high costs of housing 
and health care and child care and education, um, while wages have stagnated and while a lot of them have hit these points in their career at maybe the worst possible time. So, you know, going into the tech field right before the dot-com bust and you're trying to kind of get a toehold in their careers and then um, you have the recession after September 11th. And kind of one thing after the other, when we bought houses, then the housing crisis happened. So it's, it's been bad luck. And the result is that we have more debt than any other generation. We have less saved and we feel the, the, the pinch. There's also another piece to this. You talk about, I mean, that's the financial and uh, we'll talk about, maybe we'll kind of go through these issues and then sure. talk about some of the new narratives that, that you can, yeah. uh, that you can use so that you don't feel the, the such an overwhelming responsibilities yeah. that, that cause a lot of depression. All of those kinds of things, right? Physical, you know, if women are having babies in their 30s and 40s, then all of a sudden, wham, they go into perimenopausal, premenopausal, or menopause. And that's a whole other, yeah. And so you're going through menopause when you have a five-year-old or a 10-year-old. Exactly. Um, Very common. And so what are those? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the physical stuff, I was so shocked by. I mean, I, until I started working on this book, I had barely heard the term perimenopause. Uh, you know, I go to my annual exam every year. I you know, try to read books and magazines all the time. And, um, and I was totally blindsided by how intense my symptoms were. And it made me really mad. I'm like, why don't we talk about this? I know it's taboo to talk about um, periods and that kind of thing. Uh, but the result is that a lot of women get to this stage of life and their hormones are all over the place and they don't know why and they don't know what to do about it. And, um, and that's, that creates a kind of perfect storm. If they're dealing with a ton of responsibility at the same moment, then of course they're overwhelmed and exhausted. Yeah. And they're dealing with crying babies and sleepless, literally sleepless nights. And yeah. then, yeah, and, and going through at the same and full time jobs. Oh, it sounds like, you know, time to go off to an island somewhere <laughs> as we're discussing all the issues. Yeah, it's yeah, overwhelming. That's the piece of it being told they're whining if they say anything about it. Which, which people do, like if, you know, and, and I've even heard that pushback of like, you know, oh, a bunch of whiners, you know, well, you tie it. <laughs> you start taking care of, of four people while working full time and trying to be a breadwinner um, while going through perimenopause and telling how, how whiny it is to say you're tired. And they also, but people will say, my mother will say, well, but look at the husbands, look at the partners. They help out so much more than they did in our generation. Of course, in her generation, most of the women were at home. So that's a different thing. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So not, how not does that fit in? Right. I mean, that's something that I think, I think the, the, the trick there is that men do a lot more than their dads did. So, you know, they're like, oh, my father never changed the diaper and look at me. I, take the kid once a week, you know, to the park. And I, um, I changed many diapers and they're very proud and they should be. I think it's wonderful. However, then you have women who were still doing, you know, much more than 50%, basically having to congratulate their husbands for having done 20% and to feel like, good job. Thank you so much. I'm so lucky to have you. Um, and I think that that also breeds some resentment. I, I, yes, and I, I would agree with you. Obviously, you've done the research, but I just anecdotally, I see that. I see it in the grocery stores. You'll see a man with two kids, and 
you know, yeah. taking care of the kids on Saturday. Cause I'm thinking, cause now his wife gets like two hours to <laughs> take a nap or take a bath by herself, whatever she does. Yeah. But yeah. And then that's supposed to be a great thing. And yeah, you change 50 right. diapers, but not 5,000 diapers or 500 diapers. Yeah. Uh, and you're supposed to be grateful so that you have to open yeah. up a whole new dialogue, don't you? Between couples, between partners, between spouses. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've been so happy about is hearing that a lot of women have, like, given this book to their husbands and been like, look, just read this and you'll maybe understand why I'm crabby sometimes. And that it's opened up that conversation um, that they were able to, the men were able to sort of see a little more what their women, women are dealing with. So what do you say to people who say, well, then stay home with the kids. Wait till the kids are in school full time. Uh, wait till the kids are in middle school, you know, to stop complaining. You don't really have to, you don't have to work or you don't have to have the extra vacation or the extra whatever you get that's fun. Uh, just stay home, take care of the kids and you won't be exhausted. Yeah, that was an option in past generations. Um, but, you know, I sure don't know a lot of families who can, who can eke out a middle class existence right now, given the cost of everything on only one income. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then I think another part of it is that, you know, we're very well educated as a generation. We're some of the most well educated women in history. And the idea that, that we are supposed to just stay home and take off this major chunk of time from working and trying to pursue passions, uh, because no one else is going to help us. It just, it seems rather unfair. Yeah. And the reality is if you want to go into the corporate world and you stay out for a couple of years, I mean, you do get, they, they pass you by. That's just the way it is. Oh, the yeah. Person who, yeah. You, yeah. And, and almost yeah. all fields. And, you know, I thought was something that I was really horrified by the research, especially about women in their fifties who were trying to get ahead or get back into the workplace and just facing so much, uh, discrimination, ageism and, and sexism and, and, really struggling and that was I thought I found that very scary one of the other things that you point out and I think we should have maybe pointed this out sooner but uh, you spoke with maybe you said this a diverse array of hundreds of women so it's not just yeah. you know middle-class white women that you're talking about you're really talking you say single partnered child mothers yeah uh, black white Asian everything yeah. so I think that's very significant yeah I think it's very important I think that we get pitted against one another so much. I think, you know, racially and then also women who have kids, women who don't have kids, women in cities, women who are living in rural places. Like, And I think that those divisions really fall away when you look at middle-class women of our generation. Um, I think we all have so many touchstones culturally in common, and we've faced so many of the same daunting circumstances, and I think we need to all work together and not, not engage in this, uh, kind of partisan, the mommy worthy kind of stuff. I think it's, um, I think it's a conspiracy to keep us from seeing each other and from finding solutions together. So, Ada, how do you think the Me Too movement has helped, or has it? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, in interviewing all these women, they mentioned it as, as being sort of surprising, as being kind of led by a lot of millennial women who were facing some of the things that we maybe dealt with, and we just like kept our heads down. And thought, like, okay, this is part of part of the deal, is this level of frustration, uh, and and like a lot of the women that I interviewed said that they were they were sort of shocked <laughs> by it. They're like, oh, oh, pushing back, like, what a what a concept. Um, uh, a lot of us, I think, felt like we didn't have. I don't even know if it's the agency or or what it was, but you know, a lot of the women that I talked to had been working since they were twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old. And took it for granted that there were going to be a bunch of 
bunch of jerks around. Yeah. <laughs> well, you talk about being your generation. It's smaller than the millennials. It's smaller than the baby boomers. So you describe it as a culturally invisible generation or people don't see you because you're so small in numbers and so that you're often admitted from a lot of the polls that are done or some of the yeah. news pieces. Yeah. So that's very significant. Uh, it's like, what about us? Right. Who, you know, yeah, we, no, I, yeah. that's right. I think we've been, I think middle-aged women traditionally are quite invisible in the culture. And then Gen X has been quite invisible. So the combination is like synergistically invisible. And um, yeah, there were some very funny memes going around where news organizations like even NBC and places like that were doing these generational surveys and they just completely left off everyone born from 1965 to 1980 as if we didn't matter at all. And you probably matter the most. <laughs> I mean, you're staying, I mean, yeah, you, you're sort of the, the smallest group sandwiched in between these two other groups, but uh, you know, as you say, you're doing everything. How does social media fit into this? Well, what I heard a lot from the women I talked to was that they felt like everyone else had it figured out and that that, that sense was really fueled by, uh, by things like Instagram where you look and you see all your friends and they all look great and never mind that they have 20 filters on those pictures um, and their you know, kids are all succeeding and they're taking these beautiful vacations and how awesome it all is. And of course knowing intellectually that that's curated and yet you see it all day every day and it can really feed this sense that you are not measuring up. When I w was going through going through your book and going through all of these points, I was thinking, you know, one thing that I see that's missing in your, not just in your generation, but maybe particularly in your generation, because, mm -hmm. you know, starting at 40, is a whole sense of eroticism is missing. And I don't just mean sex mm. in terms of sex and eroticism, but yeah. I will see women, they're working out, they're different, you know, they're, they're five o'clock in the morning, then go to work, then come home and work yeah. out again. And I'm thinking maybe if you had a little, uh, uh, somewhat of more of an erotic life, and I mean maybe mm -hmm. with sex and food, and uh, yeah. there are a lot of different kinds of things, that that's really gone. And then I'm just going to add another piece that I want you to comment on, and this isn't popular, mm -hmm. but most of them, 50% or more, are overweight, so they're not really even mm -hmm. taking care of their bodies. So that, and, yeah. and so that brings in health issues, whether it's diabetes or all kinds of chronic illnesses. I think that okay. fits into your generation as well, yeah. and not in a good way. Yeah. No, I think that's really um, that's all very interesting because, um, I mean, first of all, what I think is shocking is I think the average size for women is like a sixteen, and yet the world is not made for women over like you know a six. Um, you know, you look at, I was in like a plane yesterday and I was like, you know, I'm like size eight usually, um, although it's varied a lot over the years, but I'm like, it's, I'm like wedged in. And I think like if that, if most of the population is much, is a much bigger size, how are they doing it? Like this is, the world is not, is not helping anyone be comfortable. Um, I think generationally also, we we have a history of not really being able to experience a lot of pleasure. So uh, many of us came of age sexually right into the AIDS era. So sex was not associated with pleasure and liberation as it was for a lot of our parents, but rather with danger and fear. Also, drugs and alcohol. I know for you know my my parents' generation was was very exciting, and there was all this experimentation. Um, but then when we became teenagers 
and went into college, we had Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and we had mandatory minimum drug laws and just say no and all this other stuff. It's like, I think culturally we've, we've grown up with this sense of, of danger and not, um, and not freedom around pleasure. Um, and, and I do think that that maybe has translated to some of what you're talking about, where women feel like that's going to be the last thing on the, the to-do list to actually experience pleasure, whether from sex or food or, or relaxation or anything like that. And I never had uh, actually have heard it put that way, but it really does make sense. Uh, baby boomers, as you described, yes, we had, se- uh, what is it, sex lives and videotapes. That was the, video, the, the <laughs> film, and it's true. It really is true. It's all exciting, all new, not just for women and sexual freedom and freedom just in all other areas, but, I mean, the whole culture exploded. And so then all these restrictions, yeah. you can't you can't do this, and some of it obviously dangerous, AIDS and other yeah. Um, yeah, sexually transmitted diseases, but also with drugs and alcohol. So there has yeah, to be a balance. A great, yeah, there's a great um, song uh, from the '90s, and one of the lines is, uh, "We were the cleanup crew for parties. We were too young to attend." And mm. I think that's very accurate for Gen X. I, I think that's true. Okay, so let's given that in uh, five minutes. How about some solutions? <laughs> what can we do? What can as a culture and also Generation yeah. X women themselves? Yeah, so I mean, so three quick things for um, for Gen X women. One is find a good gynecologist and find other kinds of support, whatever it's going to be. But I think you know, hormone stuff. Um, people who know about that, find them. Um, make other people do more. So so partners, kids, mothers-in-law, you know, uh, all that stuff. I think we need to get an accountant. Get get whatever help you need, so it's not all on your shoulders. I think setting expectations differently is the second thing. So realizing that we were told all these things were going to be easy and possible. It is not easy. Um, whether it's possible or not is dependent on a lot of things that aren't necessarily about how hard you're working. And then finally, just realize this is a set period of time. So middle age has always been tough on women for various reasons. Um, it's very hard on women now often, but it will, it will eventually end. Midlife will be over. Um, and then yeah. I think for other people, I think, you know, employers should treat their employees like human beings. I, and I've heard again and again these horror stories of women who are taking care of little kids, nursing, being texted from 6 a.m. till midnight from, by their bosses. It's, it's cruel. Yeah. It's cruel and it's almost impossible. You're just setting up these, as you say, impossible expectations. And I think all of those yeah. suggestions are great. You know, the thing you mentioned last, the time limited, I, I did say that to my daughter-in-law after she had twins two years ago, plus a three-year-old. I said, it is time limited. It is time. She said, that's uh-huh. the best advice you ever gave me. Like it's it, <laughs> when you're, <laughs> well, when you're in the yeah. midst of it, as you know, Ada, it's kind of like, this is never going to end, but it is going to end and it does evolve. And I think those yeah, are really, it, it definitely gets better. There's, yeah, and get help. That's another thing. Yeah. Whatever kind of help, exactly. use your resources. Use your mother-in-law yeah. or your sister-in-law or your neighbor. Or it's it's okay because yeah. you're not going to need their help either for the next twenty years. Hopefully not. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> so those are. But you have to work on it, don't you? I mean, you kind of have to. You have to change your, as you say, change your expectations. Number one. Yeah, that's the, and and yeah. get with other women. I, you know, I think one thing that's been great for me is I started a club with some other women writers and we meet once a month and we catch up on everything and we help each other in like practical ways. Um, but also just having that, that in real life, non-internet connection with people who are going through the same stuff you are, that to me has been really a huge, huge thing. So it's really 
key you're saying to be in person. Don't go on Facebook and see everybody on their beautiful vacations with their perfect kids. <laughs> I don't think it helps. Yeah, who yeah. are going to Ivy League schools now at the end, yeah. and you know this is not They're what you need Olympics. to. Yeah. Uh, all in the Olympics, all mm-hmm. pre-Olympic, and yeah. it's not just one kid. All of their kids are so successful. Yeah. Um, totally. Yeah, don't do that. What no. about two minutes left? So tell us, I mean, where websites we website or sites we can go to, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. your book about you, about what you're doing. Um, yeah. So, and yeah, maybe uh, the best gynecologist to go to. That was the first thing you said. <laughs> I'll write that one down, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the book is called Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis. It's available, should be in all, all your local bookstores. Um, it's been out of stock on Amazon, believe it or not, for the last week or so, but I think today maybe it's coming back into stock. Um, oh, that's great. It's also on Audible. I'd used, mm-hmm. I did my own narration on the Audible um, audiobook, and it was really fun because I also used about a dozen other women's voices, so I took clips from interviews I'd done, so you can actually hear some of the women, and, and I really like that. That's great. All right. Well, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to listen to that. So, uh, it's, yeah, great sp- talking to you today. Lots of, uh, I got a lot of information, maybe some changes I can make, even though I'm a baby boomer. Anyway, um, Ada Calhoun and her new book is Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis.